Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haber. This episode features a virtual visit the class had with Brian Collins, who made a return to the class to take us around Disney's Animal Kingdom, giving an Imagineer's perspective on what happens in the parks. Um, He took us in areas such as Pandora and through Africa and talked about the Kilimanjaro safaris and over to Nepal to talk about Expedition Everest. I hope you enjoy the show and please come along with us on our adventure. Welcome to another class. As I can see, we have a special guest with us, Brian Collins, the former Imagineer for the Walt Disney Company. Um, And many of you have seen his video, the virtual visit he did with us a few years ago, um, where he took us through the World Showcase at Epcot and kind of gave us the Imagineer's perspective on that. This time he's going to walk us through um, Animal Kingdom and different, tell us different stories and kind of different Imagineer perspectives of Animal Kingdom. Um, so I will go ahead and remember students that if you have a question, um, just unmute yourself and then um, we can ask questions. We will, we will go till 1225 um, and at 1225, everybody who needs to leave, go ahead and log off. If we go a little bit longer, um, I will have the rest of the video up on YouTube for people to watch for the discussion post. Sound good? All right, Brian, go ahead. Take it away. Thank you very Fantastic. much. It's, it's my pleasure to uh, be back with you. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like the invisible man here between the mask and the eyeglasses and everything. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and turn this around and then start kind of walking and talking and kind of tell you guys a little bit about uh, what I did for the company as an Imagineer and, and what I'm going to show you today. So, okay. So hopefully you can see now in front of me as I'm walking. Yes, we can see Brian. Fantastic. Okay. All right, guys, so um, time to get going here. So I uh, was a show writer for Disney Imagineering. Um, Imagineers come in all shapes and sizes and and different kinds of jobs. So you've got the folks who are the engineers that actually design like roller coasters and that type of stuff. You've got uh, art designers. You've got actual artists. You've got um, lighting designers. You've got shows per se for for, I wrote for the Disney show as a whole and um, everything you know Walt Disney World uh, began in Disneyland all started you know from, from Walt Disney's brain you know it, it, as, as a young man um, he was always very intrigued with uh, motion pictures and film and all of that so that's kind of where he as you know began his, his uh career and as we say it all started with the mouth right so but then after that Walt Disney designed Walt Dis- uh, Disneyland and Walt Disney World and his first Imagineers were people that came from the movie studios so you know to this day um, you know that's still very much a 
backgrounds in, in entertainment backgrounds in, in show design backgrounds and things like that. Um, so today I'm coming to you guys from uh, the animal kingdom and I'm going to kind of spin around and y'all be able to kind of tell where in the animal kingdom I am. So this is live from uh, Pandora. And if you guys are fans of the movie, you're really going to enjoy this. It's going to be a, a really nice treat for you. Um, to just kind of tell the story of where we are in Pandora here. So um, this uh, environment that we're in, this the setting is about um, 10 years after the war uh that um rca um had when they were like invading um pandora and uh they were trying to like mine all of the minerals out of the planet and everything um if you saw the first movie you know that they were defeated and so now it's 10 years later after that and uh there's a company here i'll show you on the uh trash can a company called ACE, and ACE actually is a ecotourism company that has taken over here in Pandora, and they work with the Navi uh, to help uh, promote um, uh, nature and, and all of the uh, bountiful things that the planet has to offer. One thing about uh, Pandora that's uh, fantastic is <clears throat> just like in the uh, movie, you know, the Imagineers created an incredibly immersive environment. And there are several different ways that they did that. You know, Imagineers have so many different tools that we can use to create our immersive environments. We've got audio and sounds, we've got color, we've got music, we've got um, you know, the architecture and, and the story and all of that just kind of kind of combines together. So here in Pandora, they really did an amazing job of kind of telling that story of what's going on 10 years after the wars, now that um, the Navi have reclaimed their land. And as you look around, you see all kinds of really kind of cool things. This is like a little interwoven, um, image of the uh, shaman uh, that is on the Navi River journey. That's a bunch of guests are going on. Uh, but she is like the head shaman um, here on Pandora. And she has a special connection to nature. And as you look around, I'm going to kind of show you guys some, some stuff a little bit up close. That's, that's really kind of cool. But they've done an amazing job of combining the fantastic fantasy world of Pandora with, um, especially with the landscaping, with, with the uh, nat native plants and that, that would live here in Orlando, Florida. So if you come over here, you know, you can see all throughout, you see these little blue cones and um, plants and things like that. Um, as you look, walk through, I'm gonna kind of walk around you see that everything here on Pandora is tied to nature. It's all living, breathing um, elements. And, you know, even like the benches that you sit on are carved out of 
what looked like old tree stumps. Now, the amazing thing is that in Imagineering, we have people who are just fantastic at sculpting uh, rock work and trees and things like that. So this is all concrete, actually. It's not real wood. Even this giant boulder here is man-made from concrete. And what they do is basically they, they take and uh, shape the skeleton out of these from, I'm gonna kind of rip away the uh, pixie dust band-aid here, so I apologize. Um, but basically what they do is they uh, create skeletons from uh, steel cages and rebar, and then they coat it. Um, even this tree here is, is not a real tree, man-made. Um, and then they coat it with uh, concrete and they have people that come in and they can finish it um, to look just like, you know, real trees and roots and bark and stuff. It, it's quite amazing. So we're gonna kind of keep walking through here and I'm gonna show you some more details and kind of show you how they uh, tell the story again of Pandora. Now, I don't know if any of you have actually been to Pandora before, but it's a pretty amazing uh, planet. And as I said, you can't really tell a lot of times where the line is drawn between the Navi who live on Pandora and the plants and the trees. This is a line to get into the Navi River journey. We'll kind of scoot around here. Brian. Yes. Can, yes. While you're while you're walking over, um, could you tell the students kind of a brief history of Animal Kingdom, what it was like? Yes. Um, and in particular, like how Pandora when 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 they first announced Pandora. Um, yeah, kind of ask the question, how does that fit with the park? And I, I think right. now looking at it, people see there's no question. But at, right. at the time there, you know, there was some question about how does this fit in with everything that the park stands for? So if you could give a little bit of feedback or history on that. Sure. So, and I'll even start before the Animal Kingdom. You know, Walt Disney has always had a strong affiliation with education. Um, always been very, very important. Even back in the 1950s, when Uncle Walt would come on TV and introduce the wonderful world of Disney or, or Disney's Wide World of Color, um, a lot of the, the segments were educational and stuff. And that continued through when, especially when the second uh, theme park, Epcot, was built here in Florida. That was designed really to be a really big educational showcase. Um, around that time, Disney also created the a, um, environmental fund for um, donating money for to environment a conservation fund. Um, when the uh, Animal Kingdom was first announced, a lot of people were kind of like, wow, it's going to be a zoo at Disney. Isn't that exciting? Um, well, of course, Disney being Disney, we knew that they weren't going to build just like a, a normal zoo, right? So um, the animal kingdom kind of came to be. And um, 
the animal kingdom was divided in several different sections. Um, and one of the sections, which you can actually still see, if you go back to some of the old logos, and actually if you go out to the main entrance of the animal, but anyway, as I was saying, uh, the original plan was to have several different sections in the animal kingdom. And one of the sections was actually going to be dedicated to fantasy, like dragons and uh, different kind of beasts like that. Um, that never really kind of happened, but interestingly enough, like I said, you can still see a dragon on the main entrance marquee when you come into the animal kingdom. Um, so Pandora came along, the movie came along, and James Cameron, the director of Pandora, um, and Walt Disney uh, began some conversations about wouldn't it really be kind of cool to create a real world Pandora. And James Cameron came on board and worked very, very closely with the Imagineers to, to do that, to help design and consult on the creation of, of this amazing land. Um, one of the things that's also kind of interesting is probably now going back about, I would say probably about five years or so, um, James Cameron also announced that he was going to be making three separate sequels to the original Pandora movie, because one of the concerns was, well, Pandora was kind of a cool movie when it came out, but are people, is it going to be relevant to people? Are they still going to want to visit? Is it going to mean anything, you know, 5, 10, 15, even 20 years from now? So by um, confirming that he was going to be doing these three set three follow-up films, these three sequels, that ensured that Disney and James Cameron were going to have enough material to build on and that Pandora would stay in the minds of um, our guests and consumers for, for a long, long time. For a lot of different reasons, those movies, um, they are being made for sure. They, they're being filmed actually the second and uh, third sequel were filmed, if I'm not mistaken, concurrently. And um, I think, you know, like most of Hollywood and, and most of um, the entertainment industry, a lot of the uh, films, including the Pandora films, have kind of come to a halt right now. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, the, the first sequel for Pandora uh, should be coming out in 2021 now. Um, I think originally they were hoping for 2020 at some point, um, but I think 2021 is when that will come out. And then they'll uh, follow that with the two remaining sequels. Um, so uh, that's a little bit of, of history of, of Animal Kingdom. Is there something else that you want me to touch on too? Well, and on... I'm glad you brought up the subsequent movies because yeah. um, I, one thing I, I'm not sure people know about Animal Kingdom, it is, it's the largest park. It's not the largest walk around park or I guess like, right. but it's the largest park because the safari is so huge. Um, and then all of the, the animal, like all of the conservation areas and, and where the animals live and um, but one thing specific to Pandora 
is as new Avatar movies come out, is there, do you know of any plans to kind of expand um, as the new stories come out? Like if they're, I've heard rumors of of some of the, what some of the sequels are going to to feature or focus on different parts of the planet. Um, Do you know if there's, there's room for expansion? Are there plans for expansion as movies come out? So I don't know so much in terms of land-wise. I'm sure they probably, when they created this park, understanding that there were going to be sequels coming out, um, I would like to think that they have some land set aside uh, to be able to expand into. Um, At the very, very least, you know, one thing that Imagineering and Disney has always been really good at has been trying to kind of keep current, especially lately, kind of keep current with their parts. So as new, as the Pandora story kind of unfolds and new characters are presented to us and new uh, themes come along, I think that there will be opportunities to kind of integrate some of those in. Kind of, I, I, I don't know if this is the best example, but kind of like when they put Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean to kind of you know, give that attraction um, a little bit more current um, uh, story and characters with with the films. So, so that's that's what my take is. I, I'm going to go with yes. There, you will see new evolutions of new characters and, and things like that. Um, you know what they are. You know who's to say. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, I, I am pretty sure that um, James Cameron already has been having high-level discussions with Imagineering, and they have an idea of what his movies are going to contain, and they probably already have some ideas on the books uh, for what, you know, new attractions or new expansion would be. Pandora is one of the smaller lands here in the animal kingdom. It, it's pretty compact right now. Um, very, very popular. Uh, so I would imagine that that there will be some expansion uh, happening. And it's also for people who haven't been, um, and I've only been to Pandora one time. Um, it is beautiful. Yeah. So it's, it's beautiful to walk into. And what you see during the day right. i mean it, it's almost a completely different experience at night when you walk through at nighttime it, right. it's it's amazing can you tell the students a little bit about like i can like some of the things they do it's it's just amazing yeah so one of the things that is really amazing again if you've seen the movies you know this how like i said you know nature and uh, the Navi are, are very much intertwined in Pandora is very much a living planet in terms of, um, you know, the plants and the animals and all of that. And at nighttime, this place just erupts with uh, light and um, beautiful glowing imagery. Y'all see the plants will light up. Y'all see uh, the trees, y'all see characters kind of coming through, y'all see on the ground, um, you know, little different colors sparkling in, in the in the ground. 
Um, so you're just, it's really kind of like stepping into a really trippy uh, light show. Um, like uh, Dr. Hayward said, just very, very different experience at nighttime. And all of that's designed to kind of show that interaction between uh, humans, Navi, and, and uh, the, the planet itself. All of these little blue guys here that you see in the plant beds, those all will light up at nighttime. Um, they, as I was saying before, they've just done an amazing job of intertwining um, the, the, the native Navi plants with um, the, the natural plants that are found here. So it's always a surprise to kind of like turn a corner and see something that maybe you thought was like, you know, just like a normal kind of a plant. But next thing you know, they're all like lit up and glowing and, and also making you know there's beautiful noises and sounds that you hear um and those sounds will change throughout the day so like right now you hear a lot of like bug sounds and chirps and every once in a while maybe you'll hear something uh rumbling through the forest um at nighttime it tends to be a little bit more of a serene kind of a sound uh that y'all be hearing um Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the theming uh, out here and kind of show you this. One of the cool things about this is, again, if you talk about the storyline of Pandora, um, RCA came in. They were the very militaristic uh, company that came in, and their sole purpose was to mine all of the riches out of the ground here in Navi, and they were just destroying it when they did. And there were, um, that resulted in there being some large battles being fought between the Navi and RCA. And if you look around Pandora, you see these beautiful, like, what look like battle scarred structures, you know, this concrete with the um, exposed rebar. You see the um, moss and stuff, you see these old pipes. And this is all just to kind of give the illusion of <laughs> just when I wanted to show you guys something. Um, this is all to give the illusion that, you know, this was all here back during, you know, the headquarters of the RCA. But then um, after the battle, when they were defeated and they went home, nature kind of came back and took it over. So that's kind of what you see. But as you look around, you know, I mean, obviously this is all built for Pandora. This is not natural. So it's not like this used to be a loading dock. You can see down lower, you know, the uh, bumper where maybe a truck would have backed up, you know, to what used to be obviously a large warehouse there, but now it's just the remains of it. Um, and you see that as you go throughout, you see pieces of equipment that was left by the RCA. Uh, again, the evil bad guys. And um, now it's just kind of like, you know, been sitting dormant for 10 years. These are some feet from a giant robotic thing. Um, and, and, you know, they've just been sitting dormant for 10 years and, and the Navi are just letting nature kind of reclaim it. So everything out here is designed to kind of, again, kind of put you in that place, in that story of what, what this would have been like um, and, and, you know, not only what it's like now, but, but the history of what 
this place went through. Even if you come over, I'm gonna come over here. This is like a little dining area. And you can see it's set like in what used to be, you know, outside of, of a, uh, some kind of fortified compound. Um, again, all of these lights, um, while they're functional and they're thematic, you know, they do work at nighttime to give the guests here. But, you know, they also are designed to kind of blend in. So, you know, all of this, the, uh, you know, the pipes, the broken off pipes that are closed off. Again, the battle scars with the rebar exposed. So, um, I want to give you guys some time to ask questions and stuff. But as I'm kind of wrapping up, I'm going to leave Pandora. And I'm going to take you guys uh, kind of through a little bit some other areas of the animal kingdom here, just so you can see the amazing architecture and the amazing um, land, landscaping and stuff uh, that was done here. It's, it's really quite fantastic. And so this is the trick. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. I was going to say this is a transition area between Africa, which is the direction we're going, go, and behind me is Pandora. So, and once we get to this big bridge here, hopefully I'll keep my signal here. You'll see how it transitions from this really lush Pandoran landscape into what's supposed to be more of like an African landscape. And I'm gonna come up here. We have beautiful big river here. First, since you're you're walking into Africa, I have a question about or a thing about Africa, and then um, that yeah. gets you to tell a story about Expedition Everest as well. The students are watching yeah. the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, yeah. and so I think yeah. this week we are on episode four which I believe is when they spend most of the time talking about uh, or a good amount of the time talking about animal kingdom. Um, but the, the link between at least the, at least the way the story is told the link between um, Walt Disney's original vision for the jungle cruise and um, right. what happened there to now what happens on um, the Kilimanjaro safaris, I think is is right. very, very intriguing. If you could talk a little bit about that. So, you know, one of the really kind of cool and interesting things about Disney theme parks is if you have a chance to kind of um, dig in and study some of like the, the really kind of like the, the older history and how things kind of came to be. Um, we're going to come over and take a pause over by this wall here. It's pretty overlooked. So one of the things that Walt wanted to do was create um, his jungle cruise and originally was going to be a live jungle cruise with live animals and stuff. <clears throat> and they realized very quickly that that wasn't going to be feasible, especially in Florida. It would be very, very difficult. Back in the 19, 
1960s when they were designing Walt Disney World. Um, the park opened in 1971. So in the 60s when it was being designed, um, the level of husbandry and animal care and zoos and all of that um, was still kind of in its early stages. And they just didn't have a way to kind of create an animal cruise that would not only be entertaining, but would be safe for the guests as well. So they kind of tabled that and used animatronics instead. <clears throat> that allowed them to actually uh, create some scenes that were a little bit more fun, kind of tell a story, a little bit different story. Walt was one of the pioneers of uh, nature documentaries actually. Um, so he loved nature. He was a huge proponent of nature, um, but a real live jungle cruise in Magic Kingdom just wasn't going to be feasible. Um, and all those years later, you know, when, when they were thinking of what they wanted to do for that fourth gate for that new theme park, uh, kind of dug back into some of those old notes and inspirations, um, knowing that you know, Walt Disney always had an affinity for nature and animals and all of that. And that's kind of, I think, where the first inklings of the animal kingdom came to be. Um, and knowing that they had the, the, the financial strength and the ability and the creative ability to do something really kind of unique and different, um, I think you know, Disney, it, it was almost like a no-brainer for them. They wanted to do something that honored animals and, and was not only um, a theme park, but also, you know, research and, and that type of thing as well. Um, and when you come to the Animal Kingdom, um, you can actually get some really cool, like, behind-the-scenes tours where they take you through to, like, the veterinary um, areas and... and they tell you a little bit more about um, the husbandry and the animal care that they give. But, um, you know, again, there's always that educational part kind of uh, tuned into it. The, the guy who was the head Imagineer that created the vision, if you will, for the animal kingdom was a guy by the name of Joe Rohde. And if you've ever seen Joe, you'll probably see him on the Imagineering story. He's a guy with the earrings that weigh down like the right side of his head down to his ankles. Um, quite a character. But Joe loves traveling. And, you know, when he was taking his teams around to design the Animal Kingdom, they actually traveled throughout the world to different areas. I know it's a tough job if you can get it right. Um, but they traveled around the world, bringing back inspiration for how to theme and design the animal kingdom. So, another thing, Brian, I think is interesting as as you're you're walking it, and as I said, um, and the students and I, um, I believe I told the students about this before that it you know the Wi-Fi in the parks, everything might be a little jumpy or or not completely in focus but everybody can tell where you are and what I'm one of the things I'm seeing is all the marks on the ground yeah um, we'd spent some time talking about like that's obviously because of the pandemic 
Um, but is also, could you tell the students maybe some of the things, and, and they, I should also say, they just finished listening to the, the, my Disney Classroom podcast that you and I were both on. Um, oh, cool. Talking about the parks post um, the pandemic. And could you tell them a little bit about some of the things that maybe are not some of the interactive things that maybe aren't able to happen right now, as we see Expedition Everest, aren't able to happen right now that um, would happen if we were not in a pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, this has really kind of transformed the entertainment industry and the theme park industry. Um, and for Imagineering, it's really been a challenge because there are so many things, you know, so like, like I tell people, social distancing and theme parks aren't really designed to be in the same sentence. Um, and, and I'm just showing, just so you guys know, way off there in the distance is that's uh, Mount Everest there. Um, we'll see if we can get you a little bit closer to that um, in a little bit. But as I was saying, um, you know, it, it, it's been a real challenge. So some of the things, for example, have been like interactions with characters. Like normally if you were walking through the animal kingdom, not only would you maybe have a chance to see some of the, you know, Disney characters, uh, Rafiki or Simba or whoever, but the other thing is that a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have cast members um, who are from like actual countries, like, like here's a gentleman here um, that's actually from Africa that they brought over because he is an expert at carving. How are you doing, buddy? You want to say hi to the uh, University of Memphis? Say hi. <laughs> so there you go. And what he's doing now is he, he's using an ancient, you know, uh, not an ancient, but a very old uh, technique to, to do this. So you would see a lot more of that kind of stuff. And not only um, artisans and things like that, but people just kind of like walking around in character. And, and unfortunately, they've had to curb a lot of that kind of thing fireworks is another thing they don't have fireworks shows or any of like the nighttime spectaculars right now <clears throat> mostly because they don't want people gathering together in these big crowds together you know and, and they want to try and minimize that so for now that they're you're not going to see the nighttime spectacular shows um also like when you go on the attractions you know there's uh, kind of social distance, you know, where they used to maybe put tons of people on like one attraction in, in one ride vehicle. Now you don't have that as much. Um, so it, it's kind of funny because Disney was one of the first places to kind of relax their, uh, or to open up after um, they were able to. And, and they really kind of took their you know, took a pandemic very, very seriously. A lot less people in the parks. As you can tell, face masks are um, required. Um, and, and in some ways that's kind of cool because, you know, personally, I think a lot of people got frustrated with the huge crowds. And this is really a chance to kind of reevaluate 
their park capacity limits and how that interacts with the guest experience. So on that, Brian, do you think that um, I've I've heard or read a few things about like people just I guess not minding the park capacity and the park reservation system? Do you right. think maybe that has a right. chance of sticking around for a little bit? I think it's going to stick around for a little bit. I think like everything else, um, you know, once there's a vaccine and they get the um, virus under control, you know, uh, then they'll probably reevaluate things. But for right now, I think um, they're going to kind of keep these uh, safeguards in place. We're heading into Nepal here, home of Everest. And it's kind of cool, like you see here, even the, you know, what looks like a um, old painted sign on the side of a building for Coca-Cola is done in like the Thai language. Um, if you come over here, you see kind of like the runes of this old statue here. I'll see if I can swing around. There's, it's a photo spot, so. And then as you look up, you see the prayer flags up there. And, you know, again, all of this, you know, between the language, between the prayer flags, between the building structures, again, those are all things that Disney is using to kind of tell the story and tell you where you are. You know, you're not in Africa anymore. Um, we'll kind of go through here. And again, this is the kind of stuff that Joe Rohde and his teams, when they were traveling around the world, that's what they brought back. You know, it was so important for them to have authenticity. And uh, I, I think they just did a remarkable job with that. I want to show you guys something that's kind of cool as we come up the path here. <clears throat> One of the things they did is they, they built like a little prayer shrine. And this is a place where people will go before they're getting ready to hike Mount Everest and do their expeditions. And they might leave like a little offering. You can kind of see it in the background there up ahead. It looks like a little building. But I want to show you something that's like really cool about that. So behind it is Mount Everest. And this is like one of those cool like little Easter eggs that they put in the park is you get closer, we'll kind of come up here and you're gonna see that the shrine actually mimics the peaks of the mountain behind it. I don't know, can you guys see that? So yeah, we can see that. Kind of a cool like, is... little Easter egg there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then of course, as you come closer, you see all the offerings and little mini shrines and things like that. There are different ones. And again, this is very, very typical, very realistic of what you would find. Um, the colors very much, um, you know, and the designs very much of what you will find in Nepal. Kind of keep walking through here. So since, since you're over there now, um, and yes. before we run out of time, can you, yeah. can you tell the story about 
Expedition Jack Everest Keith. and the Yeti. <laughs> um, in terms of the, the audio animatronic Yeti or the legend of the Yeti? The, the audio animatronic Yeti. So the audio animatronic Yeti. So Disney was so proud when they opened up Animal Kingdom. Uh, part of the ride is you're going through Expedition Everest is that you actually encounter the Yeti along the tracks. And at the time, the Yeti was like the largest audio animatronic ever built uh, for Disney. Um, it's since picked by uh, Ursula in the Old Mermaid and the Shaman in um, the Navi River Journey. But at the time, the Yeti was the largest audio animatronic and he would, you know, kind of, as you were scooping by on your uh, ride vehicle, he would like reach down and grab for you and stuff. Very, very cool animatronic. But the problem was that um, after, uh, and, and this is one of those things that they wouldn't have known until it happened, but because it was placed like next to the ride track, um, aside from the size and everything, it was a very complex piece of engineering. And the vibrations uh, from the uh, ride vehicle eventually um, disabled the Yeti, so he didn't work anymore. So now he's just kind of like frozen in time there. And, you know, they, they've tried to like put some strobe lights in there and kind of give it... Um, you know, a little bit of a exciting edge as you're going by him real quick, but unfortunately, um, he doesn't come to life anymore. And is it is it true, Brian, that the, about trying to fix the Yeti and the reasons they can't like completely fix the Yeti or put a new one in? Right. Yes, yes, it, it is true. They they can't put a new one in. Because to put a new one in, they'd have to go in and rip out the track that it sits right next to. And don't forget, you know, there's all kinds of electronics and mechanics um, underneath the Yeti. So it would be a very, very, very complex process to do that. And so they decided rather than, than try and replace it. Um, and, you know, knowing, learning what they learned that it probably would be very difficult or very costly to get one that would work on a, a continual basis. They just decided to go in there with, like I said, some show lighting and sound effects and things like that. So when you go by it, these really bright strobe lights are going off. And honestly, if you didn't know about it, um, you know, you probably wouldn't even realize that it was supposed to move or, or anything. Um, the strobe lights kind of give a little bit of an effect. You've got, like I said, the sound effects. Um, so they're just going to kind of leave it be. Well, and they did. Um, there was a, a major lesson learned from Expedition Everest and the Yeti that they used yeah. in the Navi River journey um, with the shaman. Um, if you could, you could tell them a little bit about that, like how the how the shaman can be lowered to be worked on and everything during right so like i said the shaman now is one of the largest animatronics 
It's also a very different animatronic. It's one of the most advanced um, models of auto animatronics, if not the most advanced model of auto animatronics that Disney has. I think it's called the A A1000, if I'm not mistaken. And it has very fluid movements and everything. And when they installed it, they, thinking back to the issues and complications they had with the Yeti, they made sure that they were going to be able to access it to work on. So um, it actually, you know, can be raised and lowered uh, so that if, if it does need, the engineers need to get in there, they can do it. They can fix up the, the hair and, you know, touch up the artwork and stuff like that. Um, so definitely lessons learned for sure. And it's one of those things, like I said, that they wouldn't have been able to learn until they did it. Do, in the, the few minutes we have left, do any students have questions? And if you wanna, if you wanna unmute and ask, or if you wanna use the chat function, you can type it out and I can ask, it's up to you. The, another you thing that, monkeys. another thing I think is interesting, Brian, is, um all of the rumors that have surrounded dino land usa um yeah have you have you heard anything about what could be happening with dino land usa are they leaving it or are they changing things i've heard you know making it into different lands from yeah indiana jones to the latest um you know people online calling for it to possibly made into like a wakanda or something like that if you have right um any rumors or you could talk about that a little so wakanda probably isn't going to happen because we don't have the rights for those universal characters um here in orlando um when universal studios was uh, created they they had the license before universal was was bought by disney they had the license to display those characters in their theme parks um east of the mississippi is from what i understand and until that contract runs out in some time you're not going to see universe uh you're not going to see um marvel characters in the disney really in the disney theme parks um but that said um as far as what they might do with Dino Land, I mean, I've just heard the same kind of rumors that you guys have. Whether or not they change over the theme of uh, the Dino area, um, I'm not sure. I mean, for a long time, that was kind of like, you know, that's kind of been kind of like the kids area. Um, I'd love to see them kind of freshen it up and do some things. I mean, um, there have been a couple little changes here and there. The main uh, marquee ride in there, uh, which is um, called Dinosaur, I think now. But when the park first opened up, it was called Countdown to Extinction, and it was about a meteor strike coming to hit the Earth and exterminating all the dinosaurs. And um, it was kind of a tough ride. You got on this Jeep, and you were, like, zipping through this indoor, dark indoor track. It was very hard to see the show scenes. It was kind of a rough ride, too. Just, you know, a lot of people get sick on it, to be quite frank. So they kind of tuned it down and turned it into more uh, a more gentle dinosaur ride. Um, but I don't think it's ever really kind of found its feet. And, you know, that's okay. That happens sometimes. Um, 
So I, I think there could be some opportunities there to kind of do something different. Um, and, and probably with some of the other rides and attractions as well. We'll see. Brian, there um, we had a student ask, is Divine still walking around? <laughs> I, you know, um, I don't think Divine is still walking around. That was a really popular character uh, for a long time, but I think Divine's been retired. They used to also have this really big dinosaur that would walk around and he would like be pulling a cart. Um, and that was a very advanced animatronic, actually. Um, and, and the dinosaur has been retired, too. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, You're very welcome. I hope my thumb wasn't too much of a distraction. No, no, no. It was, uh, it's, it's great to see the inside of the parks um, right now. More. You know, when a lot of people either have never been or can't go right now um, for various reasons. Um, it's always awesome to see the inside of the parks. And um, it's always great to hear your perspective and how they like the, the picture you're showing right now. Um, it, it's really cool to, to hear those types of things from um, the Imagineers perspective. So I will stop talking so you your picture will be what everyone sees and what the recording will see. Um, but I want to thank you and if you I'll, I'll leave the recording on for 30 seconds or so if you want to take everybody out. Thank you, Brian. Well, um, the one thing I would say is, you know, Dr. Hayward's got my contact information. So if anyone wants to reach out to me by email or check out any of my websites or anything like that, um, you're more than welcome. I'm, I'm very accessible. Um, I, I spoke to one of your students actually a couple of weeks ago. We had a great conversation and, you know, I, I'm more than happy to do that with any of you guys. So um, the other thing is, you know, just kind of, you know, keep doing what you're doing, guys. And, um, you know, I, I've, there's an old saying that is if, if you have a job you love to do, you never work a day in your life. And, you know, that's uh, kind of what I would wish for for you guys and any of students that I ever talk to and teach is, you know, I hope you never have to work a day in your life and you can find somehow find some kind of a job like I've got and, you know, to just uh, do what you love to do. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at CHaverPhD. That's C H A V. A-R-D-P-H-D, or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom, 
and their love for all things Disney related. With that, thank you again and have a great day. Thank you.